So I'm going to do some confessions this morning. Say confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. So here's a confession. If I tell you that I am going home to eat a sandwich, 90% of the time, that's an ice cream sandwich right there, okay? <laughs> I've, got a, I, I've got an addiction right in that zone right there. Like summer hits, like I'm like a, a five-year-old. I eat those. Listen, 50% of the time, it's not one sandwich, it's two, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I love those things. That's the easy one. Uh, the harder confession, I'm going to share with you what is one of my, uh, the biggest idols in my life, one of the longest stand, the longest standing, something I've struggled with since I was seven years old. I'll share that later in the sermon. That's called a cliffhanger. Uh, if, if you're wondering, but there it is. So, because we're talking about idols uh, as we're going through 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing about this. Maybe you remember that back in chapter 8, he introduced this topic. And one of the things he said is that idols aren't real. L- look at verse 4 of chapter 8. It says, therefore, as to, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And that there is no God but one. And so he's saying, listen, those aren't real things. Those are, those idols, that's just lumps of stone or wood. You're free to eat that food. It's no big deal. Then he gave a caution and said, okay, but there are some weaker brothers and sisters with a weaker conscience, weaker mind, and they are bunged up by that. And so you'll show sensitivity and compassion and love. Sometimes you'll lay aside, it's not that the idol's real, but you'll lay aside your right to love them and be compassionate when they are around. Okay, remember that? This is chapter 8. Now, so in regard to chapter 8, the message is idols aren't real. As we get into chapter 10 today, uh, it's going to shift a little bit. Idols aren't real, but idolatry is. In fact, he'll put it, uh, in my estimation, he puts it this way. Idols aren't real, but demons are. Did it just get weird? It just got weird a little bit. We're talking about demons today. And so before jumping into chapter 10, our passage today, I need to do a little bit of demonology or angelology, the theology in this area. So here it is. God created a separate class of beings. Humans don't become angels. Angels don't become human. They're a separate class of intelligent beings. They are ministering spirits that serve the Lord, or at least they're supposed to. The most awesome, amazing, beautiful angel ever was the archangel Lucifer. Lucifer became arrogant, did not want to keep his place, did not want to serve God, but wanted to be served. And so he rebelled, got kicked out of heaven. Today we know him as the devil or Satan. He did not go alone. He led a, uh, we're not sure exactly how many, but led a large portion of angels along with him. They rebelled as well, got kicked out. They are the open and declared enemies of God, and we call them demons. That's where demons came from. And by the way, that's also how we got cats. (laughs) Just so you know, because they're demons, all right? So that's where cats came from. Write it down. All right, but one of the things to know about demons is that they are, uh, they're not the creator. God's the creator. They are created beings. They are limited beings. They're no match for God. This is no fair fight, okay? Not even close. 
Let me give you a little bit of contrast between them then. So you see God on the left there. God is the creator. Demons can't create anything. That's God's domain. All they do is they twist and prefer and destroy the things God has made. God calls to life. Demons lead to death. God never lies. The scripture says God never lies. Satan is called the father of lies and demons are deceivers. They're really good at that one. God loves me. He's the lover of my soul. Now, demons hate God in everything that is God's. God wants to bless me and hook me up to me the best life possible. Demons are bent on my destruction. God is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. He's sovereign. Demons are very limited, just like us. They are limited beings. Gives you a little bit of a handle. So, so as we get into chapter 10 then, Paul is going to be saying, idols aren't real, but demons are. And we pick it up in chapter 10, verse 14. It says, Therefore, my beloved... Flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All right, now this is written, remember, to ancient Corinth, the Christians there. It was a church that had a foot on each side. They were a dumpster fire. They were a mess. They were worshiping Jesus, but they were dabbling in idolatry. And Paul is saying, listen, those idols aren't anything, but behind those idols are demons. So when the pagans would sacrifice to Aphrodite, is Aphrodite anything? No. But behind that system was demonic activity at work. And he's saying, be careful. If you're not careful, it'll make you a participant with demons. Does that sound like a good plan? Being participants with demons? Like, come on, seriously? Wow. It's because idols aren't real. But demons are. Now, maybe it picked up that he began and ended this section by talking about communion. The cup and the bread and all that. That's communion that he's talking about. What is communion? It's a symbolic meal. Remember the context. He's talking about food, sacrifice, idols, a connection between food and worship. And so he talks about where do we do that? Communion. 
right? We take bread in the cup and we call it communion. What that is, we proclaim the gospel. I belong to Christ. I worship him. I receive from him. But what's interesting about communion is it's really not about the bread and the cup. I love celebrating communion on mission trips with those teams. Love it. But when I do, we have to get really creative at times. Sometimes it's a tortilla or I've done a Pop-Tart. I, can't, you know, like, I mean, all, bread, crab, whatever you can get your hands on to be the bread. Or how about during the pandemic? We used styrofoam for the, but that was disgusting, right? Like, so you get, or, or the cup. On mission trips, sometimes it's been cherry seven up, right? You, you get what you can, but it's not about the bread and the cup. It's about what's behind them. And that's Jesus. Communion is about communion with Jesus, the one behind the bread in the cup. And Paul's saying, right? Okay, good. What's behind the idols? Demons. Demons are lurking back there. Look what he wrote. Idols are not real, but demons are. Know this about Paul. Paul's not one of those guys that looks for a demon under every rock. He wrote most of the New Testament, and he speaks about demons precious little. But when it comes to talking about idols, in two verses, he mentions demons four times. That says something, right? Paul is saying, listen, there is not a demon under every rock, but there is demonic activity behind every idol. And so the Christians in Corinth They're taking communion, they belong to Jesus, they worship Jesus, and he's saying, do you really want to mingle the cup of Jesus, the table of Jesus, with demons? Really? Listen, you cannot walk with Jesus and dance with demons. You cannot walk with Jesus and dance with demons. Now, before we get too smug and look down on the Corinthian Christians, because after, listen, I'll be honest, I, never in my life have I ever bowed down and worshipped in front of stone or wood. I've just never done that. So we're good here, right? Eh, time out. Uh, idolatry is a little bit more than statues and temples. It's any time I allow anything in the created order to take the God spot in my life. That spot that should be God's alone. And so I take something that isn't the created, creator, it is a created thing, and I let that take his spot. How's that happen? Well, it could be a habit, an addiction, a vice. Yep. But it could be something much more common, like people-pleasing, the approval of others, success, achievement. For some of you parents, it's your kids. They're idols in your life. For some of you ladies, it's going to Target. Right? Right? For some of my staff guys, it's Chick-fil-A. Kid you not. They dubbed it Poyotheism, which is brilliant, but it's so true. And I'll be honest, for a lot of pastors, it's church. Church can be an idol. Now, now, listen, sometimes they're good things that we, become, we allow to become God things. It's taken the God spot. So it can be church. It can be kids. It can be food. It can be sex. These are good gifts from God. And when my worship flows through the thing, and in obedience, my worship lands on God, and I worship God because of the gift. 
Well, that's all right. But usually what happens with idolatry is I take the gift and my worship lands right on the gift. And that gift becomes a God in my life. And that's idolatry. Something in the created order has become an idol. And and what happens when it takes that God spot is things like this, like that thing in my life, that's my source of satisfaction and joy and fulfillment and peace. That's my source of provision, protection, meaning, significance. And I'm hoping during this message, you will be thinking, what is that in my life? Because there's something, maybe a couple sums, taking that spot. And what happens then, we start to worship at that altar, okay? It's the thing that drives me in life. I crave it. I have to have it. I can't live without it. So what I'll do is I'll sacrifice for it. Now understand, sacrifice is a term of religious worship. You understand that? I will sacrifice for my idols. I, I will find, I end up doing things I would have sworn I would never do that. I'll do it for my idol. I would condemn it in somebody else's life, but I'll do it for my idol. I'll sacrifice because I got to have it. And subconsciously, what happens is I pledge my fidelity, my faith, my service to this idol. I will serve it as my God. And somewhere in the background, there is a demon grinning from ear to ear. Got him. Got him. Can't create anything, but can twist and pervert and deceive and destroy And so Paul is warning, he's saying, listen, you got to understand, this is no tame plaything. Like idols aren't real, but demons are. And through our idols over time, they get a foothold, they get a stronghold, they wedge their toe into the door of our life. I want you to understand something. My biggest problem with Satan is not that he comes at me. It's that I go to him through my idols. My biggest problem with Satan is not that he comes at me. It's that I willingly go to him through my idols. And you do too. We flirt with demons. Think about that. We flirt with demons. And so there's God. He loves us. He's warning. He's begging us. Be careful. In fact, at the end of the passage, it starts to talk about his jealousy. That's kind of weird, right? Because in our culture today, jealousy has a negative connotation. We think of the overreactive jerk boyfriend who's jealous. That's what we think of, right? And so what we have there is a guy who has imagined threats, not real threats. He's controlling and he's owning something that does not belong to him as if she's his property. Okay, that's what's going on with that kind of jealousy. That's not what's being talked about here. With God, it's a very different thing. To understand God's jealousy, think about the wonderful jealous love that a parent has for her child as a pedophile predator tries to lure that child off of the playground with puppies and lollipops. That jealous rage love that wells up within the parent that wants to protect the child from the predator, that's the jealous love of God. That's what we're talking about. And what we are, we're stupid kids skipping towards that white van thinking, I love lollipops and puppies. And God's like, no. Because now we're not talking about pedophiles, we're talking about demons. 
And God jealously wants to protect you from demons and he wants to protect you from yourself. He loves you that much. So there's the background to our passage today. Now I'm going to shift gears. And I'll make good on my promise to uh, share with you one of the longest standing idols in my life, uh, and that is lust. Now, uh, I'm going to keep it real today. If you're somebody that wants a pastor whose poop don't stink, find another church. (laughs) If uh, if you think I float above it all, uh, this might be a good sermon for you to skip out of right about now. But uh, I was first exposed to pornography at seven years old. Uh, I I never conceived how young that was until I had a son, and he was seven years old, and my mind was blown. Are you kidding me? We dedicated all these babies up here today. They're on average around one year old. We're talking six years from that. Are you kidding? And listen... Back in my day, uh, we didn't have the internet, right? So we're talking magazines. It wasn't that I just kind of found my dad's stash, which I did later. But um, it wasn't that I found his stash of magazines or that I went to my friend's house and found his dad's stash of magazines. It wasn't at a friend's house, though. Across the street, I can still picture it, uh, went over there. And there were no adults involved, but it was just this weird thing in that neighborhood. There was a circle of kids, and it was my friend group, circle of elementary age kids, elementary age, uh, who were into porn. And I got exposed to it at seven years old. And, and yes, there was sexual activity attached to that in my life at seven years old and onward. So that's young. Now, to be honest, I am not playing the victim card. Yes, I was a, a victim in some sense, but, um, but I said, that's a great idol. I like that idol, and I made that my idol, and I worshiped hard, and I was a really good idolater. And so in the midst of a very painful childhood upbringing, I would go to that idol for comfort and escape and find my worth and respect and controlling my environment and fulfillment, and my idol t- took great care of me. Or so I thought. And, uh, and I worshipped uh, at that altar. Now, the good news is I became a Christian at 16 years old and never struggled with it after that. Good. You knew to chuckle. If you believe that, please see me afterwards. I would like to sell you an elevator pass for our church to the second floor. Because if you're going to be that naive, I'm going to make money off you, all right? Uh, no, not so, so much. Now, through the decades, uh, you know, seven years old, I'm 51 now. Through the decades, I have, by God's grace, experienced significant healing and growth and sanctification. It's come off in layers like, a, like an onion. I rip the layer off. I'm like, oh, great. Oh, crap. There's onion left. Another layer, another layer, another layer. And there's been growth over time. Praise Jesus for that. But I'll tell you this. I will probably be fighting, and this came in at seven years old. I will probably fight that battle till I go home to Jesus. It's the way it is. So what I'm going to do is share with you something that, that I pray most days. It's something I wrote down long ago, and probably four days a week. It's a prayer that I pray through. Uh, it, take, it takes me to the Lord and focuses in this area. 
I have adapted this prayer for length for, and to make it make sense in this sermon. I've also adapted it a little bit for none of your dang business. Uh, uh, but, uh, but here's how I begin. Uh, I begin praying and I say, God, you are a lover and Satan is a liar. And I remind myself of that in the place of prayer. Let me sidebar for a little bit so you understand what I pray there. Listen, there's a choice to be made. Either God or demons are lying to me. One of them's lying. And one of them's telling the truth. And I've got to choose every day. And this is something that's been going on since the Garden of Eden, where God said, listen, all these trees, all this wonderful stuff, go for it, man. But this one tree, don't. Please don't. For in the day you eat of it, you will die. Death will come in. Satan slithers into the garden. God's lying to you. He's holding out on you. He's keeping the goodies for himself. If you eat from that tree, it'll be good. Somebody who's lying. And we chose poorly. And we threw in with Satan's rebellion and the wheels came off and it's been a wreck ever since then. Somebody is lying. And you will either trust the voice of God or you will trust the voice of demons. One of them's lying. One of them is telling the truth. One of them is the lover of your soul. And one of them is bent on your destruction. Which will you choose? And so that's why I start out my prayer time saying, God, you are a lover and Satan is a liar. And then I go on to pray. And God, uh, I, I realize idols are not tame things. My idols do not love me. Behind them is demonic activity. Could I remember that today? And then I pray through the fact that demons lie. All they do is lie. They never deliver life. Listen, demons under-deliver on their promise. They promise that that idol, it'll take care of you. No, no, it won't. And so God, would you remind me, it is so flimsy, it is so fake, it is not real, it's thin, it's not kingdom, it's not life. Would you help me see that? And by the way, demons, they not only under-deliver, they overcharge. And so then I pray, God, would you remind me that demons overcharge, they destroy my life. And, And the reality is, whatever idol it is you worship at time to time, it takes your time and your energy, your focus, your spiritual vitality. It's stealing your kingdom impact. It's affecting your relationships. There's all these hidden costs. The demons never told you about that. They under-deliver and they overcharge. God, would you remind me of that? God, you told me sin leads to death and I thought it was innocuous, but it's not. It's destroying my life. It's self-harm. All sin is self-harm. God, would you remind me of that? And then at this point in my prayer, I I say this, God, here's the crazy thing. Knowing all that, I'm still attracted to my idol right now. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Listen, you got to understand something. Demons are ancient. They've been around, they've been playing this game long, long time and they're really, really good at it. They're crafty and they're cunning and they are committed to my destruction And so I pray this. I say, God, you know what I need? I need a savior. I need a savior. I pray, God, I am helpless in myself. I am not hopeless because of you, because of Jesus. And so I praise God for the grace and the forgiveness that has flowed into my life, the way he has cleaned me up already. 
But I, I pray this. I say, God, you have saved me from hell. Will you save me from my sins? You have saved me from hell. Will you save me from myself? And so I pray for deliverance. I pray for protection. I pray that he forbids the evil one from messing with me. But here's the thing. That is a prayer that says, God, will you leave me weak and you do all the work? Just shield me. And God's committed to my strength and my sanctification and growth that I have to participate in that. So what I pray next is I say, God, let me not be passive. Let me be active. So when Satan comes at me, would you please let me see through his lies today? so that I could see what is really true. I could see who's bringing me life and love and who isn't. Well, I could see what is holy and life-giving and healthy and good and beautiful. Help me, Lord. And then what I end up praying is Romans 12, 9. Here it is in the NIV. And I pray, God, would you help me to hate what is evil and cling to what is good? Okay, let me step aside from the prayer for a second because I, I want to help you understand what I'm praying through right there. See, the problem is that through repeated idolatry over our lifetime, we have grown a very keen taste, a very keen craving, a desire. We've got a great taste for dog crap. I, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, like we, we eat that. Mm, this steamy pile is fresh. This, this is some of the best dog crap I've had. This is just really, and we've developed this taste and we like eating dog crap. It's ridiculous. And so I'm praying, God, would you help retrain my taste so that dog crap tastes like dog crap? And would you give me a kingdom palate so I have a developed taste for kingdom life, that which is holy and good and right and pure and beautiful. Give me those taste buds. Help me hate what is evil and cling to what is good. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He, he basically said that our, it's not that our cravings are too strong, it's that our cravings are too weak. Beautifully put in his essay, The Weight of Glory, here's what he said. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, but because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God, would you make me hate what is evil and crave and cling to what is good? Now you see, this is not a sermon about lust. This is about idolatry and demons. And the question I want you asking is, what is your idol? What is the one you've been running to your whole life? What is that? And I want you to know something. Your idols don't love you. They are not tame playthings in your life. Behind them is something demonic and it's been lying to you and destroying your life for a long, long time. If you think about the fact that behind every temptation to sin this week is a demon with a smile, wicked grin on his face, will that affect your approach to sin this week? That's what Paul wants us to grasp. 
So don't play games with it. Listen, we do this with money and possessions. Love of money in our hearts is a very common idol. Okay? And what we do is we try to baptize that demon in Christian lingo and dress it up spiritually. And so we say, well, praise God for the possessions. I'll just, I'll worship him for that and I'll give him some money because uh, I'll be nice to God that way. And what we do in that moment, we become very, very clever at dressing up our demon-led idols in Christian language so that we can protect the presence of demons in our lives. That's crazy. We're becoming so clever with our language. Listen, you are not gaming the system. You are not outplaying God. You are being played by demons. And it's destroying your life. But here's the good news. God has a passionate, jealous love for you. And he loves you and he's coming for you. And he doesn't want you buying their lies and he doesn't want you eating dog crap anymore. So how, how can we respond? What can we do in, the, in light of this? Well, Paul, did you notice he started out in verse 14. He said, flee from idolatry. Therefore, my beloved, the ones I love so much, listen, therefore, flee from idolatry. The verb there, flee, is in a tense in the Greek that implies ongoing, repeated action. It's not one and done. It's like daily, hourly, flee, run. So how do we flee? Here's some suggestions. Number one, rejoice. Rejoice that Jesus has paid for your filth and your idolatry and that he has made you his own and he will take you home someday where there's no more demons and no more idolatry and will finally be free. That's why I can't wait to go home to heaven to be done with that battle. Ah. Rejoice. And then secondly, repent. I want you this week to name your idols before God and repent of them. Be honest. Have an honest conversation with God daily. Next, I want you to pray for rescue. God, I need a savior. Would you deliver me? Would you protect me? Help me, please. Uh, But it's not all on God. Pray that he would show you reality so that when Satan comes at you with his lies, that you could see what is true. You would know what life is and what life is not. And you would know what the kingdom is and what the kingdom is not. And you would see reality. And then pray that he retrains you so that you would come to hate what is evil and cling to what is good, that we would vomit at the idea of eating dog crap as we should. And we would just crave the kingdom life. And then lastly, run. 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 Flee. Don't dabble. Don't flirt with it. Flee. Listen, it's like the alcoholic who says, well, I'll just have one beer. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you dabble, you dive. If you dive, you die. Sin leads to death. If you dabble, you dive. If you dive, you die. You cannot dabble. You must run. And when you run, you run not only from something, but you run to something. Now, I'll end with this. I swear to you, we will come to regret every moment 
that we ran toward our idols. But I'll tell you this, we will never regret any moment that we ran into the arms of our God. Run from, run to, and let me pray for you. In fact, on the tail end of a heavy sermon like that, I want to take a moment of guided prayer with you right now. I want you right now to rejoice. Thank God that in grace, through the cross, he's given us forgiveness for our filth. And that we will be home with him someday. Rejoice. And then in the quietness of your heart right now before the throne of God, I want you to name your idol or idols to God. Be honest. Yell them out in the face of God and repent. And then I want you to pray for rescue right now. Tell God you need a savior. He's a loving, with a jealous love. He doesn't want you just manhandled by demons. He wants the best for you. So call out and say, God, would you save me, please? Then I want you to express to him your willingness to not be passive in your sanctification, but to be active. And so ask God that he would help you see reality, truth, lies, love, destruction. And ask him to retrain you right now. That you would come to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That you would have a kingdom palate. Pray for that right now. And then I want you to run. Run right now in your heart. I want you to run from those idols. And I want you to jump into the arms of God. Sink into your Savior. Run. Father, before you, we admit we are idolaters. We've been so stupid because behind it's demons messing with us. And I pray that you would flood healing into these people's lives. Mine as well. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.